Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. If this is your very first time finding us, stop right here because this is part two of a two-part story, and you will need to listen to part one before picking up here with part two. Now, most of our episodes are just one episode, but as I mentioned in, in the first part of Lee's story, sometimes we have a story that just needs two episodes, and this is one of them, and this is the second part. So for those of you who are new, stop, go back and listen to part one. For those of you who have heard part one, as I promised, there was going to be an incredible turning point to not leave you feeling discouraged or or hopeless in the first part of Lee's story, because so many amazing things were coming. And like she said, it has a happy ending. It has an epic ending, really, just a miraculous and amazing and, and wonderful. So Lee, welcome back. I'm so excited we get to pick this story up now. Let's give baby a 30 second recap uh, to refresh our listeners in case maybe it's, you know, been a little while since they've listened to the first part of your story. Can you maybe give that real quick, you know, previously on the life of Lee? (laughs) You make it sound like it's so great. (laughs) Thank you, Jessica. Thanks. Thanks everybody for letting me have the honor of being here on the Story Night podcast. And yeah, thank you. Let's just stop right now. I'm going to just praise God for part two because part one, we ended and it was like the cliffhanger. I was like, is she going to do it or is she not? And so I, I'm, I, I praise God for part two. The first part of the story is really about growing up hopeless, completely far from God, everyone around me far from God, a lot of uh, what we would call heinous abuse of a child through a variety of different ways. And again, go on back and listen to that, but how God just kept pulling me forward, pulling me forward. And I don't, I basically tripped and fell into the cross is, I think I might just describe it because, uh, yeah, I mean, that's how a lot of us do it. I wish I had grown up in a, in a nice comfortable, safe, typical Christian home, but I grew up in bars and I grew up with abusers and I had many predators. So a lot of hardship, but, oh, there's so much glory in the next part. (laughs) Amen. And you hit the nail on the head. Praise God for part two. We left off where you had this incredible miracle child Mm -hmm. and felt that you did not deserve this, that you didn't deserve something that good. And we, t- and we, we left our listeners with the word grace and you were on the hunt or starting a search for God. Wh- who is he? What kind of God could do this? Could give somebody like you something so wonderful. So we're going to pick up the story now. Did you find him? I'm so excited to tell you I did. <laughs> I, I, Jessica, you are such a sweetie. I, yes, I did. And, and grace in, in Greek is Gadis. And that is the unmerited favor of God. And I found unmerited favor when my son Julian was born. He was the beginning. I, I had been searching, I think probably most of my life. God just, again, was like, all right, whenever you're ready, I'm over here. And after Julian was born, I had I had softened my heart a lot to the opportunity and possibility of 
things about church or things about God. And a friend asked me to come to Bible study and I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good being a mean potty mouth, <laughs> drunkish woman who fights with her husband constantly and gets what she wants all the time and manipulates people. And she asked me seven times and God bless Amy Beck because she wouldn't give up on me. And she finally invited me. I went to a, somebody's house and I'm like, well, but I have to, you know, I have a kid. I can't, you know, I have a baby. I'm, what am I going to do? Bring the baby. And they held, they held Julian. And then it was in Beloved Disciple by Beth Moore that I, I dug in and it's crazy. I kept asking questions in that Bible study of all the women. They kept praying for me. They kept like, I was faithful to do the work, but they were faithful to be patient with this mess that came into their midst. And I just remember looking at them and thinking also amazing the day that I accepted Christ or that I, that Christ revealed himself to me was it actually, we we're probably like, we we're probably, I'm betting it's 40 days into the study and, you know, because everything happens in the Bible in 40 days. And I started crying and I'm like, if you're going to reveal yourself to me, Lord, then you better do it. Cause I can't get this. I can't think this out. I'm not smart enough to figure this out. Your word doesn't make sense. It's that, you know, when you're in the natural man versus the spiritual man, I started crying and it was like, it was almost like the scales fell off my eyes as I'm crying and I'm looking down at my Bible. And I know this sounds like a little hooky, miraculous, mystical stuff, but he does that for donkeys like me who are just so stubborn. And I look down at my Bible and I am seeing words raising up off of the Bible. I am seeing highlighted things for weeks afterward of things he wanted to teach me about who he was and who his son Jesus Christ was and is. And so that was kind of the beginning of the, like, I was sold out after that. And I was, my husband actually thought I was nuts. He's like, are you part of a cult now? And I'm like, no, I'm just going to church. And so it was funny to see his reaction to my changes. I, it was such a drastic change that he was like, what's going on? And then of course the other men invited him in and Bob's your uncle, like, you know, 15 years later, he's chairman of the elder board of a 17,000 member church that we started. I mean, I, but we were like helped grow and stuff from one location to 10 and online and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So God has a funny sense of humor. He does. All, and all from a baby, all from a baby. Oh gosh. That could be a title of something. Hmm. Familiar. All from a baby. All from a baby. <laughs> it just like that kind of everything in scripture where there's, there's, and a, maybe a, a smaller meaning and then a bigger meaning, like there's all from a baby, your baby, and then all from a baby, like Jesus baby. The Jesus baby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, I, I always call it like, it's like the microscopic and the macroscopic and the telescopic of God's word. You yeah. know, you look in, like, if you look back in the prophets, it's the microscopic that's right here, right next to you. And then it's the macro that's like bigger than just, you know, Jeremiah or Daniel. And then it becomes this telescopic that goes into the future. And yeah, yeah all, it all came from a baby, dark on it. This was 18 years ago. Mm -hmm. You found God. At that point, you were 33 years old. Baby, yeah. your marriage is changing. You are changing. Everything's changing. And now, rather than just, okay, now I'm going to live this sort of like little happy, simple life. Like, I mean, you you dove in 120% and ended up uh, all around the world. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Because this girl doesn't just like dip a toe. She cannonballs into everything when she finds what she likes. And I just started looking around at 
you know, in church and going, what do I need to do? How do I need to fit this role? You know, my heart had changed and, and, and my salvation had changed, but yet there's still the working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we had traveled around the world at certain points. And I got really heavily into um, teaching Bible, reading Bible, facilitating all sorts of different things. My husband and I adopted a baby from Ethiopia uh, 15 years ago. It's actually kind of a really cool story. We had Julian when I was like 32 or so. And uh, both of us, Christopher and I both felt really the calling uh, to adopt. So we went I don't know what we were thinking. We went away uh, for vacation in Mexico, left Julian behind. I apparently got way too much sleep and so did Christopher. And we read a book called The Barbarian Way by Erwin McManus. And we both read it on the beach together. And after four days, it was pretty much, we had talked about adoption, but we didn't commit. And after reading that book, we realized that it's now and we're doing it. So fast forward, that was like in November or so. Fast forward, we've gone through the process. We finally get Isabella's dossier and she's a little baby. Oh my gosh, the cutest little fattest, adorable baby you've ever seen. And we immediately say yes to the dossier because this is the baby I've been dreaming about, like the faceless dark skinned baby I've been dreaming about from Ethiopia. And we literally look at the birth date and I start calculating, when were we on the beach? Wait, she was born in July. And I heartily, like I fell on the floor and, I, and I'm crying, telling Christopher, no, 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 no way, no way, no way. It's no way. It can't be this. And he's like, what? I said, I think she was probably conceived while we, probably the day that we said yes. It was nine months or so before Bella was born was when we were sitting on that beach. And so the miracle child, you know, she was, I think we picked her up actually February is, is her um, homecoming day, uh, February 14th. We just call it Valentine's day, but that she was like seven, seven months old when we brought her home. I'm just, Oh my goodness. The most beautiful gift. And um, she's a beautiful young woman now that is, yeah, fabulous and, and amazing, just like her and changed our lives, just like her brother, our, you know, our biological son did all from a baby, changed everything. And we began doing mission work. So we've done mission work around the world. I vetted missions in Ecuador. I have been to India. I have been to Brazil. I've been, where else have I been? I've been a lot of places. Israel, I've been to, uh, I've taught in India. I mean, I've, like a bunch of places. Plus I'm, I'm not native born to America. So I've, I think between I, we have been to about 40 something countries around the world. So. And so in all of your travels, after one particular trip to Israel, you really began really doing a lot of researching, writing, teaching. Yeah, that was a couple of years back, maybe 2016. And I, Christopher and I went to Israel uh, with our pastors. And I mean, it's like when you go and you see Jerusalem and Nazareth and uh, Caesarea Philippi, it's like the whole entire Bible goes from two dimensions into like, for me, it was like a hundred dimensions where I was seeing, smelling, tasting, feeling everything. And it was noticed that I knew some stuff about the Bible in fact, I knew a lot. And there was a point at which I was actually even talking to our, um, the person who is taking us on the tour 
and teaching him the Bible about why there would ever be lion bones in Israel, which is found in, you know, different parts of the Bible. And so it was, it was just kind of funny. And they took notice. And I was asked to come on staff to consider doing biblical research for sermon, sermon series, helping put together sermon series. From that, I started blogging and ended up as, it was crazy, I was blogging twice a week as the church girl writes, ended up being one of the top, 2019's top Christian mommy bloggers for Pure Flicks. I don't know how that happened. I didn't even know I was a mommy blogger. I was just writing about stuff with Jesus and my family and things like that. And then that led to magazine media that asked me to start writing for them for feature. They were feature articles and other articles for pastors and preachers, as well as Bible study stories. And so I was doing all of that at once. And I was so happy just staying in scripture and Writing, I didn't even know I was a writer. I'm a, I mean, my degree is a science degree. It's not a writing degree. So I thought what's even funnier about this whole thing with God is that he leads you in places that you're like, I did not see that one coming. <laughs> Listeners, as always, we'll have links in the episode notes because I know some of you are thinking, well, where is this blog and how can I find this and what else has she written and so forth. So rest assured that will be in the episode notes. <laughs> You know, at this point, it might sound to the ladies that, okay, we are, we are hundred percent at the happy ending. Like you found Jesus, you're fully involved in church or, you know, you're in, you're in the inner circle, if you will. I know some people walk into a church and they go, oh, well, those people, they're the church people and they're, they're the inner circle people. And I'm never going to be like one of those people. And then you peel back the layers <laughs> you realize, well, guess what? We all, we all have a mess. We all have a story, but there was, there was still some healing that you had coming. It's so funny. You talked about the inner and the outer circle. Cause I always feel like I'm never the any I'm always the Audi. <laughs> I'm like the, I'm like the circle that's trying to fit into the square or the square that's trying to fit into the circle. And so, yeah, that's, I guess how a lot of people would describe it. And what I knew was that I did not have regular amounts of the fruit of the spirit. I didn't have the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, like all the rest all the time. Like I saw everybody else doing. I felt like I was a bit of an imposter. No, I just, not a bit. I felt like an imposter. You come into church as a newbie and I was a newbie at 33. I didn't know what it meant to be a church person. I mean, I wasn't raised with like the, here's what a church family does. I was always like, oh, I'm looking around and saying, oh, I, I'm not good at this part. Oh, she serves the funeral dinners. Okay. I can go serve. I can do that. I can do that. Oh, that lady. Wow. She's really, really good at scripture and memorization and stuff. Okay. Okay. I'll go do that. I'll, I'll, I'll go do that. Oh, we don't dress. Oh, we don't dress like that here. Ooh, I, I might need to start changing up a little bit of how I look so I can look more Christian. And we don't wear our makeup like that. We don't, you know, all the things that we don't do, right? And then we have the things that we do do because it's like, all right, well, I need to be in this group. That's what you do. I go to Wednesday night. That's what you do. I start serving because that's what you do. And I served and I served and I served. And you can serve until the cows come home. And God bless us, right? Because we do. We want to prove, at least, I don't know about y'all, but I wanted to prove that Jesus made the right decision when he died for me on that cross. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I want to make sure I make him proud and it was worth it. So I'm going to pay it back. And you can put lipstick on a pig that doesn't make her a lady. 
And I was doing all those things that I, I saw everybody else that I admired and loved. And they were amazing women inside the church. Like, you know, these women, they never say anything wrong. They always have the right prayer, the right thing to say and everything. And they look like their kids are in control and mine never were. And I mean, this was just the issues. I had the ish. I had a lot of ish that followed me around many issues. I wasn't letting Jesus fix what was actually rotting me out in the inside because I just didn't know about it. And I just wanted to push it down and go, I'm good. I'm good. I'm a changed woman. Look at my life is new. And so I just tried to be a plastic princess. I don't want anybody to miss this, the plastic princess and how many people try to do that and try to be that, to be who they they think they should be rather than just letting this relationship with Jesus make the changes authentically and organically. And it just comes from the inside out. Yeah. And the idea of just knowing that you're safe with your messy. I mean, I knew I had messy, but I thought, oh, I'm, I'm good. And then I started teaching Bible study and then I started leading groups. And then my husband was leading in the church. And then it was like, well, I don't have time to like, I don't want to cause people to stumble with my junk. So I just wouldn't deal with my junk. And I tried my best to eliminate all the junk, but the junk keeps building up whether or not like it's always there. You take the trash out and you can put carpet down over a hoarder's house, you know, over the floor in a hoarder's house that hasn't been cleaned, but you will see the bumps and it's going to start stinking under there and pretty soon your entire foundation rot. And I didn't mean to do it that way. That was never my intention. I was trying to be excellent and praiseworthy. I was trying to be the good servant. And it just seemed the higher up I went in church leadership. And then we were, I was serving at the highest levels of a 17,000 member mega church. I'm going out and there's enormous pressure. And I'm wondering to myself, I can't lose my ish today. So I would lose my ish behind the scenes you know, going home or in the car or whatever else. And it just, it's fine when you're the safe person for everybody, but when you don't have a safe person for yourself, particularly when you are a solo female, you're the token, you're the only one who gets the chance to sit in the room. Um, You get the opportunities that others haven't been given. It becomes a little bit dicey. I felt like something was always chasing me that, I'm just trying to play nice. I'm trying to be good. And it was the enemy that was chasing me. He was always whispering one thing or another. He's such a liar and he's not very creative. He is just a liar. And he would whisper things like, you're not holy. You, you know, if everybody saw how you treated your kids at home and how you just yelled at your son, oh my gosh. And and I would be like, you know what? You're right. And there was a point at which I actually wondered if I wasn't saved. And there was a point at which he actually had convinced me to carve the word unholy in my arm to show everyone at church what a fraud I was and how Jesus hadn't really saved me. Because honestly, I didn't believe 100% when I was baptized and accepted Christ, which is such a twisted, nasty, Satan, the evil kind of thing to say, to do to somebody who is trying her darndest to serve the Lord. And those kinds of episodes kept happening. And little did I know I had massive PTSD from stuff I didn't know about that had happened before. I had no memories except of one abuser. And that was the babysitter's husband when I was in second grade. And I just was like, oh, that was really nothing. It's not that big of a deal. Other people have had worse. And what's 
ironic about it is that it was really bad and God had just protected my memory, protected me from the memories. He gave me the blessed gift of amnesia. He gives me the blessed gift that I don't recognize most people. Like I don't recognize people's faces usually. If I see you in public, unless I've seen you a lot, that's the gift of my trauma. He gave me all sorts of lovely gifts like compartmentalization where I just don't remember things until I do. Nightmares are the ones that come back that the enemy always gets me. So it was one of those things that I couldn't get it. Like, why am I not saved? Jesus, are you not like, what am I doing wrong? What sin do I have in my life? I've tried to eke out everything and get it gone. I guess I'm not worth, am I, am I just the unholy vessel? And so I really had to go, you know, and I've been in scripture for eight hours a day, 10 hours a day doing the research for these sermons. And there was a point at which a friend came in, uh, God send uh, Michelle Novotny. And um, she's actually, she was a psychotherapist for many, many years, but a loving mentor. And she said, you know, you're really exhibiting a lot of, a lot of symptoms of childhood sexual assault. And are you okay? Do you think maybe you should get those things resolved? And I'm like, oh, no, no, it's just the babysitters. And then she kept pointing out like, wow, that's anger gone sideways, isn't it? So you yelled at your daughter. What was that all about? And I'm like, because uh, somebody else had made me mad and she was a safe person. So I don't know. And just all the memories started to like come back, all the flashbacks of things that we have been told, like when you'd ask people about it in your family, it's called family lore, and they make up the story that surrounds your memory, which isn't always true. Um, and in fact, when it's horrific abuse, it's often like candy cut see, you were a good, you were a happy kid, or, oh, see, you were just a bad kid. Or see, that's blah, blah, blah. You know, they, they make up the story. You were being dramatic. You were being this, you were being that, or whatever it was. Always a good excuse. And so- I started trauma therapy in 2019 and really found that all the times I have like tried to put the plastic back on, I mean, the hardest part about being a plastic princess, Jessica, is that when the fire comes, everything melts and you're looking at the facade you've tried to make and it's melted on the floor in this plasticine pool and you're seeing yourself reflected back in it and wondering who in the world is that? I don't even know this person. I don't, I don't even know who I am. Like, and then you look at yourself in the mirror without the plastic and you realize what a wretched mess you actually are. And so I needed professional help and praise God. I had, I had a great boss who Allison was just like, get it, go get help, go take care of it. I had huge bouts of depression over many years that I would take medicine for. And she's, there was a point at which I'm asking Allison, am I not saved? Why, why am I so sad? Why am I so depressed? Why am I so anxious? And she's like, if you don't take that medicine, if you don't not take that medicine, it's as bad as if you are a heart patient, not taking her medicine, you need to take the stuff that you've been prescribed. There is no shame in that. There's no shame in allowing it to make you calm and to be able to even deal with anything. That was one of the most freeing things I have ever, it's one of the biggest gifts I think my friend Allison gave me was permission to not be okay. 
and permission to take medicine because I might not be here in a week if I didn't take it. Oftentimes there's so much shame around mental health in church and people want to pray at you instead of walk with you. And people are afraid that the messy will get on them. They're afraid that crazy is contagious. They're afraid that whatever you got going on might bounce and splatter on them. And I look at Jesus and think, yeah, he was standing right next to the adulteress that they all brought out to him. Yeah, He was next to the woman in the well asking her for a drink of water. He was drinking and having a great time with the tax collectors and all those sinners. And he never shied away from the touch of the leper. He never like was like, ooh, you're a little bit gross. I'll be praying at you from over here. You know, blind Bartimaeus, you know, kept yelling and begging him to stop. And Jesus was like, bring him up. Come on. And everyone's like, tell him Bartimaeus to shut up. But guess what? Bartimaeus went away with sight that day. And so that was one of the biggest gifts that I feel like I received is my friend Allison encouraging me, number one, to write the story. She also happens to be my publisher's wife at the time to document the story, how I would make it out alive based in scripture and getting professional help that I needed along with the medicine or whatever else it is. So anyway, long story for a, for, for a very small question. <laughs> but it, it's a very real answer. And it's an answer that a lot of women need to hear. I'm always so grateful when guests do talk about the importance of doctors and medicine and, and things. God uses all kinds of ways to heal. Mm-hmm. And we're so grateful that we have these resources. Right. I, I, I used to think, you know, maybe I just didn't have enough faith to be healed. And that's what I had been told at certain points too. Well, if you would just pray a little more. And I've heard stories, heartbreaking stories of beautiful Christian women, veterans, all sorts of people that they come into the church seeking God. They need Jesus desperately. And they are told that they don't have enough faith. Or that, well, if you would have just made your husband happier, he wouldn't have left you. And and I just go, oh my gosh, I like I want to cry and I want to slap somebody at the same time <laughs> in the name of Jesus. Of course, not really, but yes, sort of in the name of Jesus, because it's just cruelty. I mean, there's sometimes we are so cruel to one another and there's no mercy and no grace because we're trying so hard to make sure everybody knows that we got it together. And I feel like the crystal palace needs to be shattered along with the plastic princess. If we are making our churches into crystal palaces where everyone's perfect and everyone's just so, and your kids are all great, man, I want to live in your zip code. Cause I don't, I, I, I don't know any, I live in Chicago. We don't have that zip code here, but God bless you. If you do, I feel like the church, it should be, it should be a hospital, not a crystal palace. We should be helping the wounded. We should be reaching out and not kicking them across the threshold going, you know, could you find another space? Like, or we have a group for that over there at this other church. Like, can we like embrace the ugly and the messy and the complicated? Because that's what Jesus did. He just did. He was murdered for it because they wanted him to do something that was contrary to who he was. And that was the grace giver, the healer, the good physician, the good shepherd. He didn't want to come out of the field. He didn't want to come into the palaces, although he should have been born in one. He has a palace of heaven now. He came from humble, good beginnings so that he could reach 
us and what makes us think that we should be any different than to reach out across and I, I'm and maybe I'll step on toes here, but can we reach out across the denominations? Can we hold hands with our with our whatever whatever your denomination is, the not denomination? Can we cross over between Protestants and Catholics? Uh yeah, we yeah. Oh, let me start. How about an atheist? Can we like embrace the atheist or a Muslim? Or how about a Jew? Or how about a Hindu? I think we should. I think we should be constantly loving and pulling people toward the love of Christ instead of them having to trip and fall on the cross like I did accidentally with lots of help. I got actually, my ladies really helped me walk through the doorway and um, give me a lot of grace there too. But anyway, I feel like instead of making divides, why don't we make bridges and call people to the love of Christ, the goodness of Christ, the truth of Christ uh, in the manifold ways that we can. Amen. Sorry, I may preach a couple more sermons here tonight, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think there's some listeners that would like to just tune into you every single day. <laughs> they just oh. need a little dose of Lee there. <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny because, you know, you what I thought church was originally. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because it, I feel like a lot of times in our translations, we get weirdness going on. Back um, back in the original Greek, the church was actually called the Ecclesia, the Iglesia in Spanish or Latin, but it's the Ecclesia. And the Ecclesia was simply the assembly. It was the gathering of the brethren, if you will, the gathering of the way, the Ecclesia. And funny when it got translated into German, it became the Kirken. And the Kirken is actually like, the actual building. This is the Kirken. And it lost the meaning of the assembly of like, it's the place instead of the thing where people like the idea, does that make sense? And so I think I went into church really thinking it was the Kirken. It's about where you go and who you're with and th- what this looks like. And da, 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 da. and there's so much more dynamic when we have the assembly, the ecclesia. And there's more freedom. God never asked to be inside of a box. Even when David said, let me build you a temple. He's like, I really don't need to be housed. I'm cool in a tent because like I'm with the people. But if you feel like you must go ahead and build the temple, but it's not going to be you. It'll be Solomon, your son. And God never, he wanted to travel with the people in the tent. And sometimes I wonder if the church today, are we letting him travel with us in our tents every day, like with us, or are we leaving him at the Kirken on Sunday or on Wednesday or whenever we happen to go there? Because that's what it looks like. That's how you, that's what faith should be or something. I don't even know. Why isn't he always traveling with me? If he's not always traveling with me, then I'm not sure that's God. And the Holy Spirit, do we trust the Holy Spirit to walk us, to take us where he wants us to go? I mean, that's what I'm learning in this season. It's not about the denominations. It's not about like solid, this is how we worship. It's, it's, I feel like God is way bigger than a box or a Kirkin. I feel like he is as great and as wide and as deep as the assembly across the world from North to South and East to West, as high as the heavens and as low as Sheol. He is all things everywhere. And so I'm looking at, I'm looking at myself now and realizing that plastic princess has no place in me anymore. Although I sometimes like default because it's easy. 
what I'm realizing now is that there's so much freedom in Christ. There just, there, there is, uh, he loves us with a lavish love. He delights to give us mercy, the charis, not because we merited it, not because Jessica, just because you are fabulous and amazing and boy, you do so many great things. I'm going to give you favor today. God doesn't look down at you and go, I'm giving her grace because she made the, made the grade today. He looks down at you and goes, that's my daughter. Oh, I love that girl. Man, I love her. You want to know what? She's my daughter. She is mine. Her, her name has been inscribed on my hands. I sent my son for her and I will give her the grace every day she needs it. And not only that, when he gives us that kind of grace and that kind of love, what if we extended that out to the world? Talked about that instead of, well, I can't believe that we're going to go down on one issue and talk about one issue. And then we're going to split the entire church over single, single line issues or how to, how to do this or how to do that. How about if we went out and had just grace and went, okay, you can do that. No, you worship that way. We don't do it that way. That's okay, cool. Uh, you know, high five for you spiritually there over there. Way to go. I'm going to knock some knuckles with you over here because, hey, if if you love Jesus, that's how you do it. Awesome. But if we could be and give more grace, can you imagine what kind of hope there could be in this world? That you could be accepted in a church? Like somebody like I could be accepted in a church? What? I mean, this girl's a mess. Like she drinks and sometimes swears. I mean, I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, really, this is a Latin church. That means if this mess, hot mess, PTSD, having an event triggered all the time is a Latin church. Guess what? That means you are too. That's called hope. When you can see yourself in somebody else and go, well, she's here. <laughs> Maybe there's hope for me. Maybe there's hope for me. Maybe there's hope for you. I think that's that's really where we land at the end of every story is it's a story of hope. We that's the the tagline of this podcast is are real women with real stories of real hope. And my goodness, you have a dramatic story. Now, not everybody's story is as quote unquote dramatic, but it still is valuable and it still is impactful. And and within every story, regardless of the scale of drama is hope. That's what we want to leave our listeners with. We want to leave leave them with hope. So for all the ladies who are feeling hopeless right now, for whatever reason, what hope can you offer them? I'm going to go back into Hebrew and I'm going to talk about the humble yod. The yod is actually the 10th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it is the smallest one, but it's actually more used. That letter, that single letter is more used than any other in the entire alphabet of Hebrew. And not only that, it is it has the smallest point that it's the starting point that starts every single letter throughout all of Hebrew as well, which means that this humble little yod, the one that like you might miss or you might think is insignificant or you might think doesn't matter, but that humble yod actually begins every word and ends every phrase throughout all of Hebrew. And the idea behind it is that God is, it's an infinite point of energy and love and light. And the idea behind that is that he's always present with us. 
and that he would begin and end our days. That if you are hopeless right now, that you are never alone. God has never left you or forsaken you. I, I don't promise anything ever. My kids know this unless I know it to be true. And I promise you, he will never leave or forsake you. He is the tiniest little point. He is, he notices all the details in your life. He has written, he has written a story over you that is so much more glorious than you have any idea. And though you may go through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil sister, because he is with you and he will comfort you. And coming from the girl who just has walked herself through a whole huge valley of the shadow of death through therapy, and I, you know, we go back into them and we come back out. If you look across your valley right now and you see some crazy woman up on the top of the hill cheering for you with pom-poms and the skirt on and screaming and saying things like, you can do it. You can do it. I'm cheering for you. That's me. I'm cheering for you right now. If you are in a valley, I'm the nut job lady who just went through the valley and I am cheering you on with all I got in me because that's what we do. I love that analogy for so many reasons. We said that your story had a happy ending because you're through the valley. Mm. And that doesn't mean that there aren't things that are hard still. And it doesn't mean that there's not still levels of, of healing or that life is perfect by any means, but you're through the valley. I'm through one of them at least. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and honestly, I wish I could tell y'all it's a one and done, mm-hmm. but I mean, I thought I'd be done with therapy and boom, you're good. But there's still way more work for me to do to be whole and healed. And so I, I continue with therapy. I continue with support and prayer and scripture and mentors and all the rest. I have my prayer partners still uh, throughout this ministry as well. And so I praise God for the part twos. And if, if right now you find yourself, you are still in that valley. I remember thinking back when, when I was very young as a Christian, and going, I can't go back to my hometown. Everybody knows what I used to be like. And I remember a wise friend saying, yeah, they know what you were like, but tell them the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. And maybe God is still writing the rest of your story right now. And you're not sure what this valley looks like, how long it's going to be, how long you're going to have to traverse it. Mm-hmm. But do remember this part. The greatest harvests aren't on the mountaintops. The greatest harvests are in the valleys. They're at the bottom. You don't, you don't plant the orchards on top of the Rocky Mountains. You plant them in the valleys. You don't plant the wheat harvest on the side of a cliff. Mm-hmm. You plant them in the valley. And remember that the seeds that you have sown today or yesterday or in the future, you may have sown seeds in tears but you will come back one day through those fields, I pray, reaping a harvest of righteousness and goodness with songs of joy. Lee, your story is beautiful. I love how you've shared hope with everybody. You've really spoken so much encouragement already, uh, but I would love for you to just put that into a prayer as we close. 
that you could pray for the listeners. I would be so happy to do that. Thank you. Uh, Father God, I just praise you and thank you that though we have the valleys, you give us the mountaintops. But even though, even though we may go back through another valley, I pray that we are encouraging to one another as we see others going through their valleys, that we will walk alongside or cheer from the top of the hill, encouraging them forward, or sometimes just walking with them for a moment or two in the valley, whatever that looks like. Father God, I just pray that we would be the humble yod, the ever present of the ever presence of God, um, walking through this world, showing light, showing that infinite point of energy. Let us be your vessels of love and grace and hope here on this earth. We praise you, Jesus. You are such a good savior. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Leeds. Thank you for going back through a, a very raw and, and hard story. It's not easy, but it, it's pretty special to tell the part one and part two. And it's so good to be able to share from the scars and not the wounds. Mm -hmm. I think that is the trauma people will always carry their scars. And that's how I have the, I think I have the courage to share Right, is from the scars and because um, God has healed my wounds. Yeah. So I hope that's some encouragement for those of you who are maybe still in a position or still in a place in your story where the wounds are open, that that God really can heal them and that he even has a purpose for the scars. Nothing will be wasted. Ladies, thank you for tuning in. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged and that you come back next time for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women. Women.